What up, film fans? How is everybody doing? Um, before I forget, wherever you're listening to this or watching this, please do hit the subscribe button or the follow button and follow us on the social media pages. I say us, it's still just me. Follow me at Chatting Script, Instagram and Twitter. That's the admin out of the way. Um, I won't lie to you, film fans. I won't lie to you. I am phoning this one in a little bit this week. Um, it has been busy. I have had a very busy start to the year. Um, I've done a 12-day stint followed by two days off and then a six-day stint followed by a day off and now I'm doing another 12-day stint. I'm in the midst of that. Does that is that math maths correct? Yeah, doesn't matter. Either way, I'm working my balls off. Working my balls off and then I'm in the midst of getting a bunch of stuff, my own content, um, other than this podcast that I'm still putting out weekly, getting um, three different projects, you know, into fruition at the moment, stuff that I've like written and I'm collaborating with other people and XYZ, trying to get all that stuff in motion. So I'm balls to the walls, but I'd rather be busy than bored and at least I'm being creative. So anyway, that's that's my shallow justification as to why this one is going to be a little bit phoned in. I do apologize, but at least I'm giving you free content every week. So there you go. Um, yeah, the reason this one's being... Well, th that's the justification for it. But then the main reason that this one's being a little bit phoned in is just I, for all those reasons given, I just haven't really had time to... Uh, plan either stuff I can riff about or um, I don't have time to do a full movie analysis right now because like I've said in oh and I've got well don't worry I'll, I'm gonna keep that one to myself forget I said anything um, but there's another reason that I'm quite busy at the moment and short on time um, but yeah I don't have time right now to do a movie analysis um I've said on other podcasts that like say the movie is two hours long there's two hours of me watching it and then there's at least another hour added on for me to pause it and talk about it right so a two-hour movie becomes a three-hour recording session and then throw in the editing on top of that which normally takes a couple of hours sometimes three hours and then you know it that that video itself can take a good because my computer is a bit slow. I don't know if this is normal actually, but it can take a good like six or so hours, sometimes even eight or 10 to actually export the video ready for uploading. So basically, woe is me. Feel very sorry for me. And <laughs> no, um, so I don't, yeah, I haven't planned a lot of what I'm going to say. So this podcast is probably going to be really short. And if you're still with me at this point, after three hours of me going, Crammy a river, sorry, three hours, three minutes of me woe is me in my way through this, um, then thank you for staying around. Um, spoiler alert for episode two of The Last of Us, because uh, I watched that uh, earlier this week. And if you've seen the first one as well, it's the first episode of that, probably also spoiler alert for those who haven't. Um, but how good is this TV show, man? How good is this? Um, I was a little bit skeptical about Bella Ramsey initially. Like, she's great in Game of Thrones, don't get me wrong. Um, but I was just... The casting initially didn't strike me. 
And to be I think I said this on the other pod anyway, the casting of Pedro Pascal initially, I was like, mm, okay. But he's absolutely nailing it. Pedro Pascal is fucking fantastic in this. He's fantastic in everything. I don't know why I ever doubted him. Sorry, Pedro. Um, but yeah, I think Bella Ramsey's doing it pretty well. Um, you know, she's she's definitely got that kind of me against the world kind of attitude to her, you know, a little bit angsty teen sort of stuff. She's doing well. She's doing well. But the uh, my favorite sequence in episode two was probably everyone's favorite sequence, but it was the clicker sequence. Just because, like, the use of sound and camera angles was so good. So, like, initially, you don't hear anything. Like, they think they might have gotten away with it in terms of, like, they haven't alerted anything to their presence when they're in that in that um i'm gonna assume anyone who's still listening to the, at this point when i when i've said spoiler alert that you've either seen it or you don't care so i won't describe it too much but like when they go upstairs in that museum or whatever it is um they make some noise and they pause for a minute and they're a bit watchful and they're like okay we may have gotten away with that and then you hear like the clicker noise and then anyone who's played the games and knows what that means is like oh and then what they do is they, but it's sold on um, Joel and the actress playing Tess. It's sold on their acting ability to basically showcase how like scared or concerned or just sort of on red alert they are when you hear this clicker coming through. And they all start backing away very slowly, being very quiet and everything. And they stay in focus while they're backing away. And we even get shots behind their shoulders of what they're looking at as we see the sort of clicker emerge from the shadows into a doorway. And that is all quite out of focus. So it gives a bit of mystery to those who may not have played the games. Uh, And then there's some like really cool moments like where um joel has basically they've alerted the clickers to their presence and they're fighting them and chasing them and stuff and joel manages to get some distance between him and the clicker and the clickers if you don't know or or can't remember they're blind so they work on sort of like a sonar thing and joel's hiding behind a cabinet and it's what we call a a split shot so joel's in the foreground hiding behind a cabinet and then in the the background is the clicker sort of looking for him and Joel needs to reload his gun but obviously he has to do it very slowly and it's a revolver so it's not the case of just sliding out a magazine and sliding a new one in it's individually quietly clipping in each one of those bullets flipping the wheel of the gun back up pulling back the hammer and then you know getting ready to potentially use it all of that dead quiet is what he has to do otherwise he'll you know get caught and um the shot slowly moves in from being a a split shot on both of them it slowly moves in tracks towards over to joel keeping the clicker way in the background and you don't see the clicker advance you you hear it for a bit so we hear it we see we see where it is and we hear it making noises and then we hear those noises when the camera then moves away from the clicker and focuses only on joel we hear those noises to the same um like level of sound as they were when we saw the clicker in screen so when you hear it to that sort of you know uh sound balance or whatever it is that you call it you're like okay well the clicker's still in that position then it 
sort of your mind just goes, okay, heard the sound, sound relative to the distance, blah, blah, blah. That's where it is. So then when you can't see it and you hear it again, you're like, okay, it's still there. And then you don't hear anything from the clicker for a while. We're just focusing on Joel slipping in those bullets into the uh, into the revolver chamber for a bit. And then all of a sudden you hear the clicker noise again, but it's much louder. And it's also, for me at least on my speaker setup here at home, it was predominantly coming through like the, well, the stage right speaker, so audience left speaker. Um, and it was a lot louder, so that makes you be like, oh shit, it's like right fucking next to him now. Like, and he's about, to, he's finished loading, and he's about to like turn around, and then as it turns around, it, the, the camera widens back out to encompass the clicker as well, and it's like fucking next to him. It's uh it was a really cool sequence, really really nice. Like the like I say the the use of sound and and everything. And it was really reminiscent of the game, you know, like one of the best things about that game is things like ammo for your weapons are really few few and far between, few and far between. So you have to like really sort of preserve certain you know you can't just go well you could go guns blazing but you unless you're a really good shot and you make every bullet count you know it's it's quite difficult to do that so i when i play it i would normally use it quite sparingly you know just sort of get away with shooting only when i have to or when i know i have a clear shot or in a sort of last resort panic sort of spray and pray kind of thing um and that sequence did and then as well like um if you are maybe low on ammo or maybe you don't have a melee weapon that because when a when a clicker gets close to you if you don't have a melee weapon you uh, if they grab you you're you're kind of fucked um i think with ellie she has a little pocket knife that she, can she stab them and get away i can't remember now it's been a, it's been a while since i've played it it's been like a good year since i've played the second one and even longer since i played the first one um but yeah, so if you have a melee weapon, you can like bash them before they grab you. But melee weapons break after a certain amount of uses, depending on the durability of that weapon, right? So if you only have like guns on you, then if they grab you, that's it. It's it's night night, game over, restart at your last checkpoint. Uh, and and that sequence felt to me like so truthful to the game in the sense that. Joel and Tess, although they're like these really sort of like experienced, world-weary, you know, gruff, kind of rough-and-ready survivors, proper survivors, not these pussies that will only stay in the quarantine zones and like don't venture out and don't know what the world is like on the outside. They've been there, they've seen it, they live there, right? And even they don't really want to fuck with the clickers. They want to stay away from them. They were hoping that they wouldn't run into them. So they're sort of acting in terms of like showcasing that uh, fear or like not wanting to engage with them combined with the way that it was shot and, and the, the sequence and how it all played out was, I thought, really, really truthful to the game because there are so many moments in the game where you're just like, oh, I haven't got the either the energy or the ammo or whatever to like go fucking balls to the wall so like i'm gonna just try and stealth this one and you know pick them off if i can or or 
have every intention of wiping them all out and killing them all but sometimes you want to do that from the shadows you know and, and stealthy and quietly so yeah it was really cool um yeah i really really liked it i also started watching season four of fargo which is a banging bunch of series uh, i did a pod ages ago there's no video component for it because it was before i added that but there's an audio only pod for the fargo movie which is incredible if you haven't seen it I'd recommend watch the movie before you watch the TV show if you haven't seen either. But the TV show is awesome as well. Every series is a new story with new characters. Um, and they all have that classic Fargo um, introduction uh, title card where it's like, um, what does it say? It's something along the lines of, uh, this is based on a true story out of respect. Uh, something like to protect those involved um names have been changed about respect for the dead everything else has been told exactly as it occurred and i'm pretty sure it was found out after the film came out that that's bullshit and it's all a fake story (laughs) but it's a really cool marketing tool maybe not a marketing tool but it's a really cool immersive tool because you you if you don't know that you sort of watching it as a viewer going this shit happened good grief um bf so i watched um seasons one uh, two and three, like more or less when they were available on UK Netflix. I don't have a VPN to access foreign Netflix. And number four isn't on there, and it hasn't been on there for ages. And I was like, oh man, I really want to watch this. Like I knew that Chris Rock was the main dude in it, and I fucking love Chris Rock. Chris Rock. I love Chris Rock. Um, shame on Will Smith for slapping that man. How dare you? Um and that's, that's really old news at this point. No one gives a shit anymore. Um, but no, I love Chris Rock. Uh, he's He is one of those comedians that is absolutely shit hot at what he does in, in stand-up comedy. But then also, like, his acting chops are pretty damn good too, you know. The f- I think the first thing I properly saw him act in was Lethal Weapon 4, where he plays um, Danny Glover slash Roger Murtaugh's, um like, son-in-law. And that fucking scene where they're in the dentist chair with Benny, the, um, the, the, uh, what, what organization is he from? Uh, the head of the, whatever criminal organization is the fucking villain in that film. And they're interrogating him using laughing gas <laughs> from the dentist chair. And they all like end up getting high off of it as well. <laughs> oh man. I love a good body cop movie and say what you will about Mel Gibson. The Lethal Weapon franchise is fucking brilliant and I will die on that hill. Um, but yeah, so like that's the, I think that was the first thing I probably like sort of took notice of Chris Rock in as an actor. Um, and I watched those films way too young, but you know, we live and learn and that's, I have a potty mouth as a result of watching films like this way too young. <laughs> nah, that's not the only reason. But I do have a potty mouth. Uh, yeah, so Chris Rock, uh, Fargo season four. Uh, I was just scrolling through Amazon Prime because um, I find that I only tend to go on Amazon Prime when I know that there's something that I'm either looking forward to it being released or something I'm already like hooked on, like The Boys, for example. Um, like I'll always jump on that shit straight away. Or... Um, What's that animated one, which is similar in theme to The Boys, starring Stephen Yoon of Walking Dead fame and Nope. 
It is called Invincible. And if this was the show Invincible, it would have cut me off just before I finished saying that word. It would have been like, Invi and then there would have been a title card and blood splatter. If you've seen the cartoon, you'll know exactly what I mean. And if you haven't seen it, I sound like a nutter. But trust me, it's, it's a good little inside reference there. Um, that is a banging cartoon, by the way. If no one's seen Invincible, jump on Amazon Prime and start watching Invincible. I won't tell you a lot about it, except it's a it's it's a it's an animated show. So it's a cartoon by some people's standards. Animated show for adults in terms of it's got mature themes throughout. And it's about superheroes. And if you're going, oh, but I'm so superhero fatigued. Like, Disney Plus is just full of everything Marvel. And the DC Universe is not hitting home runs when it really should be. It's barely getting to first base. Baseball reference for a guy who's never seen a baseball match in his life. Um, yeah, then trust me. Shows like The Boys and Invincible are a really nice tonic for that kind of superhero fatigue. Because I feel, yeah, man, I've been getting superhero fatigued a bit as well. I really have. Um, yeah, I really have. So, yeah, Invincible. I won't tell you a lot about it other than that. And The Boys as well. If you haven't watched The Boys, I can't recommend that show enough. Oh, it's good shit. It's really good shit. Uh, where was I? Yeah, so I was cruising through Amazon Prime. Like, just seeing what's out there, just seeing what's on, because I, I always forget to do that. I, I'll normally scroll through, like, Netflix is usually my go-to, and then there's a few things on Disney Plus that I watch, which is normally the Star Wars and, and Marvel sort of stuff. Um, but every now and then I know for a fact there's, like, a banging new film on there, like The Banshee of Inishirin, or um, other th other films, actually. there's uh, There are other films on that platform, uh, but they'll normally be sort of my go-to um and I don't tend to cruise through it that often. And I was just scrolling through it the other day. And uh, Fargo was on there. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize Fargo was on Netflix as well. And then I noticed it said four seasons. And I was like, oh, season four is on there. So uh, the other night I sat down and watched uh, episode one of Fargo season four. And yeah, it's, it's you know, good classic Fargo. I haven't been able to watch any more of it than that. Um, but yeah, if you're not familiar with Fargo, here's a little pitch for you. It's very Co it's Coen Brothers creation, so it's very Coen Brothers esque. If you're not familiar with the Coen Brothers, Coen Brothers, um, do yourself a favor and start checking out their. I was going to say discography, their catalog of films. Check that out. You could start with Fargo. You could also start with Miller's Crossing. You could start with No Country for Old Men. You could just fucking dive in man they're so good at constructing like really intricate sort of colloquial and character specific kind of dialogue you know so like for example in the fargo films and series it's set in like minnesota in fargo but everyone's like oh minnesota oh yeah you betcha and it's like full of you know those kind of colloquialisms and stuff <clears throat> and like miller's crossing for example is just gonna Take a swig of the old H to my own. Bear with. Yeah, Miller's Crossing. Um, everyone's a gangster, you know? And the first time I watched it, I was like, these motherfuckers are actually quite hard to understand. You know, it's it's all a bit mumbled. There's a lot of, like... Um, is there a lot of slang? It's been a while since I've seen it. There's a, not slang, but, like, sort of, you know, 
gangster term. He's sleeping with the fishes. I don't think they ever say that in the film. But yeah, and then uh, a friend of mine that I went to drama school with told me that um, it was deliberately designed to, so that all the characters and, and the dialogue and stuff would be kind of hard to catch. Like maybe you're just catching parts of a conversation in a bar or something that you shouldn't really be overhearing kind of thing because they are gangsters and stuff so they're talking sort of secretively a lot of the time it's like a it's an inner circle that we the audience shouldn't really be able to participate in so apparently it was a um a deliberate decision which is a very odd decision because you'd think that you would want your audience to be able to understand the characters and the story but it never stopped marlon brando did it the great mumbler as he was referred to that guy mumbled his way through his entire acting career, and my God, wasn't he good? Marlon Brando. You know, he is... It. There, there's already been so much said about how fantastic Marlon Brando is, but, like, he never didn't hit a home run. Another baseball reference. <laughs> he, ne he never didn't smash it, man. Like, early, if you watch stuff like On the Waterfront, or, um, I was going to say Cat on the Hot Tin Roof, but... It's not that one. It's Streetcar Named Desire. Like his two sort of early proper breakout films that made people sit up and go, damn, this Brando kid's good. Uh, and, you know, the sort of performances that basically redefined acting in Western cinema. Like, you know, everyone used to be sort of, yes, we will deliver our lines and, oh, I'm so mad. You know, it was all very, like, telegraphed. And then Marlon Brando just sort of, like, would stroll in on set, sort of mumbling with Stella. <laughs> he would just sort of mumble in and, you know, how many times have we got That's a really bad Marlon Brando impression. I'm so sorry. I used to do an all right Marlon Brando, but now I'm sat here and I'm improvising off the top of my head and I can't think of any Marlon Brando quotes that aren't The Godfather. And I'm trying to talk about his older stuff. So, Napoleonic cold. <laughs> I promise you I can do an all right Marlon, but it ain't happening today, man. Um, it... Damn you, I dropped my vape. And I'm back. Um, what the fucking hell was I talking about, man? Yeah, my GP thinks I have ADD, so that's why I'm probably tangenting around and not focusing on one point for more than, I don't know, 30 seconds. Anyway, um, where was I? I was where? Where's was we? Here. Here we are. There you are. Hi, everyone. Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando redefined cinema. So those old... You know, every everyone was doing telegraphed, like, oh, I'm uh, emotional and, oh, uh, you know, very showing you how they acted or how they felt or whatever, how the characters felt. And then Brando came in and was just like... I'm not saying anything original here right now. There's This has all been said before. People much more eloquent and, and intelligent than I have already stated how good Brando is, so I don't really need to hammer this home, but he just provided that really kind of casual, naturalistic, yeah, exactly that, naturalistic kind of charismatic performance, and then people were like, well, where did this motherfucker learn to act and everything, and it was through the sort of Stanislavski Stras Strasberg, 
yeah, Lee Strasberg, uh, Stella Adler kind of systems, I believe, I'm pretty sure anyway. And then obviously that inspired and, and birthed people like De Niro, the greatest in my opinion, uh, Al Pacino, you know, all these like titan heavyweight actors that um, sort of probably not what they would have wanted to have happened but ended up sort of being referred to as like the method actors and that is a term that has lost its meaning so because method acting is supposed to it's kind of become dirtied into this like grandiose like sort of prideful egotistical statement of oh I, I'm method acting this part or look how in character I am look how method I am I'm gonna stay in character for the whole nine month shoot duration of this movie and I'm gonna you know um and th- there is some like credit to it in a way like someone like Daniel Day-Lewis making everybody on the set of Lincoln refer to him as Mr. President and like making everyone in the cast maintain their American accents through the whole time they were on set and he didn't drop his uh, Lincoln accent and voice and everything and you're like there is some merit to that like when I'm on when I'm on set if I have to do an accent or something or a dialect I do like to maintain it but that's just because I'm not good (laughs) like I will just drop back into Luke's voice uh, well, no, no. So, sorry. What I mean is, like, if I have to do an accent for the takes and everything, and then, you know, go wait in the green room or whatever for could be ten minutes, could be an hour while they change shots and do setups and stuff, and I just start speaking to other people in the green room in my voice, in Luke's voice, then when I go back out on set and I have to do the accent thing again, I'm I lose confidence in myself and I start second guessing myself and I'll it it that will shine through on the camera because I won't be there confidently present as the actor and also I'm of the opinion that the longer you do something like an accent the longer you maintain it the more natural it comes and you don't have to think about it as much and you have a better command of your voice as a result in terms of you know pronouncing certain words so like um what's a good example in american they might say like hey don't ping pong at me i'm doing a podcast uh, they wouldn't say that they they might say like um uh like or pass the butter whereas we'd say pass the butter you know i don't know why they need butter maybe they're having pancakes but that's a that's like a different way of moving your tongue inside your mouth and the the position of the breath is is different right so the longer you do something and the longer you stay in that the more second nature that becomes and then you don't have to think about it so then when you are acting you're not thinking about oh how do I make sure I say this line so that it stays in my accent your attention is on the other person and, and then you can live truthfully in those imaginary circumstances which is a Sanford Meisner quote um, and I would always recommend Meisner to any actor as a practitioner to learn some shit from. Um, yeah, so there's there's 
there's method to the madness. No, there's there's something to be said for like that kind of behavior. But then there are you do hear I don't, I'm 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 going to try not to name names, but then you do hear like horror stories of actors just doing like diabolical shit on set. And Robert Pattinson said something really um, intelligent. I thought he said that a lot of the time, I'm paraphrasing, but he said like a lot of the time, it seems as though method actors only say they're doing something method when it gives them an excuse to be an asshole or something like that, something to that effect. And it it, it is somewhat true you do hear a lot of strange stories from just like a, quite abhorrent behavior from actors on set you know just really sort of taking the piss and quite often it does seem like it's just some sort of oscar grab or something um, and that's the muddiness the muddying of uh, method acting because method acting is supposed to be embodying a character to you know not like the maximum degree, but really putting yourself in, in their shoes. It sounds a bit stupid because obviously if you're playing a character in anything, you're putting yourself in their shoes. But like, <clears throat> it's it's uh, like a real embodiment of the way that character moves, the way they respond to things, the way they... Um, uh, the way they think about things. What's their backstory? Where did they come from? What did they do five minutes before the director said action? Because their life didn't start when the director said action. They may have been eating a sandwich and now they're having a business meeting. What were they doing? You know, you just sort of have to really be in there and live it. And it. I'm not explaining it very well, but like you can just look up people like Stanislavski, Strasberg, Sterard, all that kind of stuff. And there's a real sort of beautiful art to that. And there's a real lovely nuance to it. And this is why I think De Niro is is the best at it. Because I've seen like clips of him. Um, there's, a, there's a really great clip of him with Brando in, I believe it's The Rock. The film called The Rock. I believe it's that. It might, I might have that wrong. But you can YouTube this. It's Brando and De Niro improvising a scene and Brando is essentially the the essence of the conversation doesn't change it's Brando hiring him for a job and and De Niro asking for a certain pay a certain amount of pay for the work and there's about two or three takes on this um, like behind the scenes clip and Brando basically gives De Niro three completely sort of separate or completely different sorry like uh like lines or or chunks or responses to the amount that De Niro is requesting and De Niro's responses don't particularly change that much right and I remember flicking through the comment section and one of the comments one of the top comments was like because the video is called like Robert De Niro and Marlon Brando improvise a scene or something like that. And one of the top comments was, um, you mean Brando improvises a scene and Robert De Niro responds the same way three times or something to that effect. And I remember thinking like, no, because Tarantino says this the best actually. And I realized that I'm completely constructing my argument and thought process based off of like, what other people have said <laughs> but I don't care 
Tarantino said it really well. I don't know what the interview was, but I, I saw this briefly on like social media or YouTube or something as well. And he was talking about working with De Niro, De Niro on um, Jackie Brown. And he was saying that De Niro is so truthfully rooted in character that every living moment that he is on film, he is in character and he's responding truthfully to the circumstances and the other actors in character. And then Tarantino goes on to say that, um, you know, people will say something like there's like a, a hundred or a thousand ways you can respond to a situation and I agree with Tarantino on this he says he doesn't believe that at all and I agree with him with him on this because you know there's really a, he, he uses an example of like say he spills the water all over the desk that him and the interviewer I think it's Charlie Ross or Charlie Rose or something sorry I, I can't remember um say he spills water over the the desk there's about like four ways that Charlie would respond to that four ways that are truthful to Charlie as a person and as a, quote, character, right? And that that's 100% true. Like, you listen to this right now, depending on what day it is, in terms of how you feel, did you get enough sleep, has something already pissed you off this morning, have you woken up singing to the birds, chirping in the trees, like, is life going swimmingly? Depending on what the circumstances are, there's only a handful of ways that you would, would respond to any moment it could be you're working in a coffee shop and some absolute karen starts complaining to you about that order that you might have fucked up or whatever and if you've woken up in a really good mood you might be like i'm really sorry karen let me sort that out for you whereas if you've woken up in a shit mood you might be a bit blunt and sarcastic or whatever to her but those would be true to you and your character right so what de niro does is he responds to these specific moments truthfully as that character not a hundred different ways that he's pulling out of his ass because it's an ego trip to feel like oh the more ways i have to respond to this than you know the 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 better per se he's thinking no how would this particular character so in the jackie brown case lewis how would he respond to each moment he's presented with, with the energy the other character's giving him. And that is true method work, I think. I feel like I haven't really sort of stated what true method work specifically is in terms of like the application from sort of like the practitioners and stuff. But it's definitely not this like grandiose, look at me, I'm I'm so in character to the point where I'm going to behave like an absolute narcissist to my castmates. Um, and fuck it, I wasn't going to name names, but I'm going to I'm going to name names now. Caveat: I really like Jared Leto as an actor. He's also a fantastic singer, and he's a gorgeous-looking human being. Caveat to that caveat: he may also be a cult leader, which. Well, no, he's a self-professed cult leader. His band 30 Seconds to Mars say all the time, we are a cult. So he is a cult leader. Um, I don't know if he's a problematic human. I don't know him. But he is, he is undoubtedly a very good actor. Most of the time. Sometimes he misses the mark. But I will say, actually, caveat to that, caveat to that, caveat. He 
is very brave and bold in his choices and I do admire him for that but unfortunately when you're brave and bold in all your choices it can be risky and not everything is a home run there's another baseball reference for you not everything is a home run right not everything is a absolute 10 out of 10 performance sometimes he'll throw in a, a five or a six but quite often he will throw out a 10 and you know he won an Oscar for doing exactly that so well done Jared but um there was all these stories when he played the Joker in the first Suicide Squad movie. There was all these stories about him doing just ridiculous shit behind the scenes. And if I was a co-star, it probably would have pissed me off. And maybe that was his intention. But I heard, I don't know how if there's any truth to it. But like sending the other castmates like... I think it might have been like dead animals or I even this might not be absolutely true at all but I heard he even sent them used anal beads which is just a bit much sir but that might not be true so you know allegedly he did those things allegedly allegedly um but either way whatever even if those really grim things aren't true um there's in in my eyes there's almost a disrespect to that because I think the it sounds like the idea behind him doing that was to like either present himself or the character of the Joker to the cast and it like to sort of give them like a uh, is it prep preposition um like when your reputation kind of precedes you to then sort of influence how they would be towards him when they you know were on set and to me, there's a slight disrespect to that because you're not trusting or allowing the other actors to bring their own cards to the table. Like, they might have thought, like, okay, my character is X, my relationship with the Joker would be Y based on this backstory I've either come up with myself or, like, read in the comics or read between the lines in the script or maybe it's in the script in and of itself right so they might think okay my character is going to detest that character and i'm going to bring that to the table or they might think my character is actually secretly going to really admire the joker and i'm going to bring that to the table but then you open your mail one day and you've received some disgusting item and you're like oh well now i don't really like that actor and that's going to mar what i was going to bring to the table Anyway, like it just, do you, do you get the point I'm making? It just seems a little bit disrespectful and quite narcissistic. Again, I just want to say these are alleged things, but it was the only example I could think of for like abhorrent behavior on a film set. And I do like Jared Leto as a performer. So there's that. Um, anyway. Yes, so, method acting. I don't know, I feel like I've fucking ran out of shit to say now. <laughs> and potentially insulted one of the biggest stars in Hollywood, but there we go. Um, oh, yeah, wow, that was a, like a 20-minute tangent, but I just remembered where I started this method shit from. Um, so, from, basically, without Brando sort of bringing... Um, his style to the screen we probably wouldn't have acting as we do at the moment and maybe everybody would still be 
really sort of like over the top and, and delivering telegraphed performances. So, I mean, everyone is already aware. I'm not saying anything original, but, you know, that's well done Brando, basically. There's a reason he's one of the goats. There. Um, <laughs> nah, he really is. Uh, who are some other goats? I mean, obviously, De Niro is my, my all-time favorite. But then you've got people like uh, Christopher Walken, um, Kate Blanchett, uh, Al Pacino, uh, Christian Bell is f- phenomenal. So, and maybe he's not goat status yet because uh, maybe he needs to be around a little bit more. Uh, Brad Pitt, one of the goats, for sure, one of the goats. Um, I remember reading somewhere that he has the curse of you know having this gorgeous leading man face and physique but the acting range of like one of the best character actors or or like method actors ever but because of how he looks he was usually sort of given you know very leading man roles that wouldn't allow him to uh showcase his full range but Every time he's allowed to sort of like deviate from that kind of leading man, uh, you know, because leading men do tend to be a little bit more restricted, as in the characters, they tend to be a little bit more restricted into a certain way, whereas quite often the supporting roles tend to be a little, you can push the boundaries a little bit more and get a little bit kookier with it maybe, or maybe a little bit more unhinged or whatever. So when you see him in stuff like Snatch, the Guy Ritchie movie where he plays uh, the gypsy Mickey O'Neill, the bare-knuckle boxing champion, you know, he's really just, like, having a whale of a time doing that shit. Or uh, 12 Monkeys, where he's the um, the crazy... The crazy uh, the patient in the mental hospital um, that Bruce Willis sort of bumps into, he's really just off-the-walls bonkers in that, and it's a brilliant performance. Um. yeah he's just he's fantastic Brad Pitt and I guess it's quite once upon a time in Hollywood again fantastic in that where he I think he's a, he's technically a supporting lead in that but you know he's basically a lead sort of him and DiCaprio carrying that film Um, but he just gets to be a little bit looser you know because he doesn't really have to shoulder it as like a leading man the same way that Leo does in that film um, hopefully you can't hear my laptop taking off again. I really need to fix that before it breaks because that would suck. Yeah, uh, who are some other goats in the acting world? Um, Charlize Theron is pretty great. Meryl Streep. How did I not say her yet? Meryl Streep. Oh, I'm pretty sure it's Meryl Streep that has the record for the most acting Oscar nominations. Like, more than any other performer. Like, Daniel Day-Lewis has the most wins for an actor in a leading role. He's the only actor with three lead actor Oscars. I think the most the next people have is two. Um, But yeah, Meryl Streep has the overall most noms, as they say, nominations. Uh, who else we got? What's her bloody name? Is it Viola Davis? Shit, can't remember. Um, 
I'm also very tired, so <laughs> names and stuff, they usually escape me and they're escaping me even further today. Yeah, um, you know what, guys? I'm going to wrap it there. If you're still with me at this point, thank you for listening to my absolute bollocks rambling. But I wanted to put something out for you, and this was kind of all I had to bring to the table. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Please do rate, review, subscribe to all the places you're listening and or watching and the social media channels. We are at Chatting Script. I am at Chatting Script everywhere. Goodbye and thank you and continue to watch all of the things.